can't believe Dad has gone. I mean, Dad, best Dad, gone. Yes, Dad, uh, my Dad has gone. <laughs> cock up of the whole thing you won't no chance you're brilliant hey everyone welcome to backcast number two where we cover episodes three and four of the new mitchell and webb series back on channel four hi my name's sean and i'm peter sutliff hello my name's laura and i'm daniel Ratcliffe. i didn't get that joke until we discussed doing it for the intro so <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm when you've got to Google Peter Sutcliffe to see who he is, that's uh, yeah, that's that's why I let you be Peter Sutcliffe. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm glad I'm the crazy one. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I got your book the other day, and I have been reading it every chance I get. I really, I'm about a hundred some odd pages into it, and really enjoying it. How long is it? How many pages is it in total? Because I read it on the Kindle. Let me have a look at my hard copy, which I've got right here. I believe it is. Oh yeah, it's like three hundred. It's like three hundred and something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so you're about a third of the way through. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's great. It's great, isn't oh, it? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's so good. Oh my gosh, it's yeah, it's really, really good, really fantastic, and uh, you know, it's uh, I keep trying to explain to people. I, I'm like, okay, you know, this book is an autobiography, but it also, you know, has this other aspect to it about you know what it is to be a man and how he you know how we need to not impose like such strict gender roles on our children etc etc so i've been trying to you know like really explain to people how good this book is yeah it's hard isn't it i mean it's had so much publicity over here so it's been a bit easier to explain to people because it's been serialized in the big papers and it's been on radio four but it is kind of a hard thing to especially if people aren't aware or only are aware of um, Robert Webb in the context of Mitchell and Webb. And it's like, yeah, and he did that dance for Comic Relief, but he's much more than that. <laughs> you know, it's hard to explain. Yeah. Uh, one of my coworkers has been kind of interested in it, and then she also laughed. Oh, also, I had not mentioned this to you. The postcard that you attached to it was very, very fucking funny, and I laughed a lot when I saw that postcard in there. Oh, the uh, me and me and Rob, me and my mate Rob. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, a postcard. I wonder what's on the front. And then I looked and I was like, that fucking bitch. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> rub it in some more. Why don't you rub it in some more? I got, I got, I've got the postcard printed for myself as well. And it's on the pin board in front of me. So uh, my husband's just like, take it down. He's not your friend. <laughs> this is so weird. You should put that on Facebook and just be like, hey, this is. Oh, I guess that picture is technically on Facebook. But... It is on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I um, I met Stephen Fry oh years ago, probably about 12, 13 years ago now, like before Facebook. And that was really frustrating because I had my photo taken with him and it was, I had to actually show it to people. So it was like, hey, do you want to see a picture of me and Stephen Fry? And no one did. So at least <laughs> Facebook, you're, you know, people have got no choice. Yeah. Um, I really, I can't wait to finish it. Uh, well, I think that probably we'll do an episode about it. Yeah, definitely. We, I've got a lot to say about it. And also because I went to that Q&A and I took so many notes um, about stuff he said about the book as well. So it'd be great to talk about it on air. Yeah. I'm looking forward to doing that, definitely. Mm, yeah. Um, so, um, how have you found the last two episodes of Back? Are you enjoying it still? Yeah, I'm actually really enjoying both of them. I have a new theory on Andrew. 
I was just reading it. Is this the theory that you put in your notes? Yeah, yeah, this is the theory that I put in my notes. And uh, I we'll we'll get to we'll get to that theory when there's kind of a good time to interject it. But uh, I I've really been enjoying it. I am glad that we get to kind of see where the storyline is headed a little bit. I'm a little upset that we still don't know more about Andrew than we did in episode one. But no, I thought that as we got to the end of episode, um, to the end of episode four this week, I thought, you know what, he's no clearer really to me as a person. He's still quite not that he's he's two dimensional, but he's just got no. We can't trust him. So anything we do know about him, you immediately think, well, it's probably not true anyway. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel too. Is that he is not a very trustworthy character, mostly because um. You know, we don't, I, I mean, I it, I feel like this is kind of a circular conversation, but he's not trustworthy because we don't know anything about him and the things that we do know we can't trust. So, yeah. Um, exactly. But yeah, I'm definitely excited to see where things head with Andrew. I think we kind of have a clearer picture of where things are going at the end of episode four, um, but we'll, we'll get to that when we get there. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's go ahead and let's just kind of jump into episode three of Back. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this episode was was decent. Um, yeah, I thought episode four was funnier than episode three. Yeah, that was my yeah, that was my general feeling. Although I did laugh quite a bit at episode three. I think now I I'm, I laid my I laid it down in episodes one and two that I think Jeff's the best thing in it, and Jeff is brilliant in episode four so i think that for for, for me that's why episode four was so much funny i actually thought he was good in episode three too where he he's good in it he just doesn't have quite as much airtime. yeah um so we jump kind of just straight into into the episode we have everybody kind of sitting around the john barleycorn and just to kind of reset where we left off at the end of episode two um steven is living in a caravan Andrew is living with Ellen and Cass at the family house and uh, the John Barleycorn is just kind of existing and, um, you know, Andrew is slowly kind of bringing everybody over onto his side, onto his team. So Yeah, and when we begin uh, episode three, I think it would be fair to say that Jan and Mike are not on his side and that changes. You're saying about pulling everyone into his, onto his side. Yeah. Yeah, Jan and Mike clearly not on Team Andrew at the start of Episode 3. Um, no. Andrew kind of just starts off the... Andrew just kind of starts off the episode, and he talks about, you know, do you want to fuck Jan and Mike? And um, Stephen is, like, super confused about why he's asking him this question. And Andrew goes into this long discussion about how sex sells and you should want to fuck your bar keeps and all this stuff, so... It's a it's a yeah. pretty funny conversation. Yeah, Stephen says he's not really a fuck on site kind of guy, so <laughs> he's he's not the guy to ask. Um, but they, Andrew, kind of sort of uh, Stephen doesn't agree with him, but Andrew kind of makes it clear that he thinks they should be looking for sexier bar stuff. Yeah, and this reminded me when I was in when I was in high school, I worked at a store that sold like pro wrestling stuff, and so I was like super fucking excited to work there. And then after like two months, I got fired. And then they brought he brought in a real sexy girl that didn't know anything about wrestling at all, but was just there to to attract people. 
<laughs> oh, that's that's harsh. I know. I got replaced for a pair of tits, and it really like <laughs> bummed me out. And you still, and you've not forgotten it twenty years later. Nope, nope, not, <laughs> no, yeah, eighteen years later, I still, yeah. I still have a still cuts deep. It still cuts yeah, deep. Yeah. yeah, I remember asking her like mm. who her favorite wrestler was, and she's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Stephen's not certain. He doesn't think, uh, as is in keeping with Stephen's personality, he doesn't really think that the pub needs to be sexier. He thinks he says it's pub, not a YouTube channel. And he just thinks, like, it is what it is. Do we really need to make it yeah. sexier? Yeah, and it's funny because they they have, they have end up having two very different memories of what the John Barleycorn was like in its golden age. Um, oh, yeah, there's, like, a flashback from both perspectives, isn't there? Yeah, Andrew's flashback of the John Barleycorn in its golden years was bright, vibrant bar, and there's people from all different social classes and social standings in there. There's, like, a dude with a like a fucking two foot mohawk and he's dancing with a cop and there's like guys playing like an Irish jig and Laurie is just like smiling from ear to ear with his pipe in his mouth and he's just laughing while he's filling up beers. It's really, really funny. Yeah, and the um the flip side to this is that Stevens remembering of it is a sort of grey, quite dreary pub full of smoke with like three old men playing cribbage in it. Yeah. And uh yeah, I just wrote he Stephen remembers a more dour barley corn with serious men sitting around doing serious men things. Yeah, the um, the dour version reminded me of my dad used to work for local the local authority when I was a child, and as part of their like union benefits, you got they could go to this club where like the drink was subsidised, and it was the most depressing place. It was like they were encouraged <laughs> to bring their families, and at, on lunchtime on a Sunday they'd have like live music, and it was just awful. It was terrible in there. And the beer must have been so cheap because I can't imagine why else anyone would go. It was just like that. Oh, that sounds horrible. It was horrible. It's been knocked down now and not a moment too soon. Yeah, probably sounds like it's for the better. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Stephen asks um, Jeff if he likes Mike and Jan. And uh, a funny a joke that made me laugh but probably didn't make you laugh is made about Bucks Fears. Stephen says, you like Mike and Jan, don't you? And Jeff says, from Bucks Fears. And I laughed heartily for some time oh see i just assumed that there was another Stephen jan in another village that he knew yeah, so bucksters were a band who or band is probably too strong a word but they were a, a, a novelty musical act who won the eurovision song contest oh <laughs> in about 1981 okay. yeah okay yeah see i just assumed that they were um I just assumed that they were another Jan and Mike from maybe like a different village or something right, like yeah. that. So I'm not even I certain, thought that was pretty funny. I'm not even certain that there was a Mike and Jan in Bucksfizz, but there they might have been. No one no one knows who was in Bucksfizz. <laughs> so. um, but he, Andrew's quite keen to talk about the barleycorn experience. And Stephen is cynical about this. And Jeff seems to be similarly confused. Yeah. Um. We get the we get a scene. The next the very next scene is we are at Ellen's house and Ellen, Cass, Andrew, and Stephen. They're all just kind of standing around and they're going through Lori's things, kind of deciding what they're gonna donate, what they're gonna keep, and what they're gonna toss. And um, <clears throat> Ellen asks Andrew pretty much just like point blank if he has any ideas about what to do with the pub. You know, she says, Andrew, do you have any of your brilliant ideas? <laughs> and she fucking says this right in front of Steven. And it, I really, like, as the show goes on, I am really bothered by Steven's 
the way that Stephen's family treats him. Yeah, they are really horrible to him. He's clearly the, I mean, not the black sheep because he's not a rebel, clearly, but he's the one who doesn't fit in with the rest of the family. And that's clearly always been the case, even though we don't know Laurie. He obviously, that was, it was the same when he was alive, we feel. Yeah, oh, it's just, it's terrible the way that they treat him. It just, I, I mean, I know that I probably shouldn't think about it too deep because it is just, you know, it's a comedy show. But yeah, it's horrible the way that they treat him. They just, you know, minimize any sort of um, <clears throat> involvement that he has in the pub. You know, they just more or less ignore him. It's, it, uh, like I said, I'm probably thinking too much about a, uh, a Channel 4 comedy. But... <laughs> I think it doesn't help that um, David Mitchell does that sort of hangdog expression so well and he always looks so sad. <laughs> so whenever they're, whenever they're berating him or his mum's being horrible to him, he just looks so sad and you, that your heart bleeds for him. I know, it's terrible. Um, they hold up one of Laurie's old sports coats and um, Andrew just asks if, you know, he can try it on and, um, you know, so he tries on on Laurie's old sports coat and it fits him almost perfectly. Um, I liked this. Get... I liked Robert Webb in Tweed. I thought it suited him. Yeah, I thought it was good too. Yeah, um, um, it reminded me of when my granddad died. So my granddad was my mum's dad and my mum has only got a sister. So there were no other kind of men in the family. And my dad's, my granddad was tall. He was like six foot two. And my dad's really short. He's about five foot nine. So there was, there were no, there was no one to kind of pass the clothes on to. And I just started going out with my now husband, who was a similar height to my granddad. And my nan was just trying to palm the most terrible clothes off on him. <laughs> and it was like, oh, this will fit you because you're tall. Never mind that Phil was about probably or eight stone heavier than my granddad, I reckon. My granddad was really thin and Phil wasn't. <laughs> and it was like, oh, do you want to try this one? Oh, this will suit you because you're tall. And it really reminded me of that. It made me laugh a lot. Oh, that's <laughs> really funny. Um, Andrew's, Andrew's ideas for the pub include defurbing the refurb and making it an authentic pub with old church pews mismatched wooden library chairs and um he says distressed and old-fashioned is what's popular and steven says oh well i'm distressed and old-fashioned and i haven't had sex in 22 months yeah that made me laugh that was a great line um i thought the idea for the the pub that andrew wants to create was actually quite shit it just made me think of all those like intolerable hipster bars you've only hoxed them they're just rubbish, and it's not original, and you're a twat, Andrew. Yeah, it really... You you are correct. You are correct. I mean, it. there's... If you want to go to one of those authentic, air quote, pubs, I mean, there's... I'm sure that there's a dime a dozen where the John Barleycorn, you know, for better or for worse, has its own unique character to it. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, and Andrew's determined to kill all that dead... But I don't know. We'll we'll when I get into my Your theory, theory on Andrew. Yeah, yeah. We'll get we'll get into that a little bit. Um back at the John Barleycorn, we see that Jeff just walks up and he just takes a fiver straight from the till. This um, really made me laugh. I laughed for a good couple of minutes of this. Just the um the look on his face when he's caught by Stephen digging with yeah. with his fiver. And um and Stephen asks what this what earth this is and he says it's his float and then they explain that he's been doing this always <laughs> that laurie knew about it laurie was fine with it but he's been hiding it from Stephen because he thought Stephen would be cross with him and yeah. uh, and when Stephen asks what the float's for he just says 
sundries, packet of mints, batteries, pens, odds and sods. And um, I don't know why this made me laugh so much, but I just really enjoyed the kind of schoolboy, schoolboy look on his face. Yeah, I thought it, I thought that was pretty funny too. Um, I did the math, and it was roughly twelve thousand pounds of float <laughs> that he's taken from the John Barleycorn. I mean, twelve grand's worth of, of mints, batteries, and pens. That's a lot of mints, batteries, and pens, isn't it? Well, you can't forget the odds and sods too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so then, uh, some uh, Jan comes, doesn't she, and says that there's some people have come in. And they are referred to by Stephen as UMCs, which is Unreasonable Moaning Cunts. I'm actually going to take this acronym into my day-to-day life now because <laughs> I thought this acronym was awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, and he says that this is uh, the lingo in the hospitality trades. Yeah. and i like how they plan and i like how as they're walking over to the table they're making their plan and they're like okay so we've got a couple and an individual and they're and uh, ellen is like okay attack the cut attack the individual he you know they're more likely to uh to fold and so they have this whole plan in of, of attack that they're gonna do and as soon as they get over there before they can even institute their plan the male half of the couple is just like what is this? This is terrible, and just launches straight into him. Yeah, this is great. This is my father-in-law. This is how he reacts in any kind of situation where uh, hospitality has not been as he would have expected. Um, and he says that they're going to leave some savage TripAdvisor reviews. We get to the next scene where um, Andrew and Cass are out at like a flea market or junk store, antique store. I wasn't really sure where the fuck they yeah, were. Yeah, I thought it was like a reclaimed a sort of antiques place where like there's a great one in, in Whitstable that we go to where some guy goes around gutting dead people's houses and old churches and selling on the bits. And yeah, I thought it was something like that. Yeah. Um, this scene is really funny. Uh, Andrew just, because they're looking for pews for the the john barleycorn defurb and he just goes this pew and then Cass just like rushes over to the pew and she's like i know it's and before she can even finish steven is or andrew is just like is not the one that we want and she's like oh yeah yeah a hundred percent this isn't the one that we want yeah 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 and um, she's quite a sad character isn't she Cass? and this was i thought this in this scene was that she's she's a she's a bit pathetic I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, as far as characters go, for me personally, Cass is the character that I like the most because I just feel so sad for her. You know, she's one of those people that she has like very, you know, she's had like a very grandiose idea of what she's wanted to do with her life. And then just, but just really hasn't had the support of people around her to do the things that she wants to do. Yeah. She's talking about her art, isn't she? Um, Here. And she's, she's trying to make it sound, I think, better than it is. It... It is. <laughs> she says it's challenging. She says the work is challenging, and yeah. uh, she collaged, um, and it just is. It's just sad. It just it broke my heart a little bit. Yeah, uh, the part that really cracked me up in the scene is when she sits on the pew and Andrew go- or Andrew goes to take the picture of the pew, and then she sits down, and then he like moves the camera. Moves over. the camera. Yeah, I saw that, and also I think that that makes it very clear if we weren't clear already that Andrew has got absolutely no sexual or emotional interest not that he would have he's a psychopath but he isn't i don't think he's gonna 
bang her just because she's there and he can. He's got no interest in that. That's not what he's about. Yeah. Um, Cass mentions that she she's an artist and she tried to go to art school, but it didn't work out too well. There was too much of drawing of horses. Yes, this really made me laugh. I did... Um, I did GCSE art and was unexpectedly good at it. I can't draw for shit, but I was a good painter and I was a good sculptor. And I went on to do A-level art and it was a bit of a joke because I'd been stuck in this class with all these kids who could draw brilliantly and I could not draw for shit. I got taught to draw okay. I could do a passable drawing. But there were all these very artistic young men and young women who could draw horses. It was always horses. Horses were the thing. They could draw out their heads. So this really made me laugh. Yeah, um... Yeah, I I don't have a lick of artistic talent at all, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm artistic, but I can't I can't draw out of my head. Yeah, um, we go back to the John Barleycorn at this point, and they're clearing. There's like a little side room at the JB that they're kind of clearing out, and that's where Andrew's um, ideas are going to be, or where Andrew's going to get to put his ideas on full display. Yeah, they call it the snug, don't they? Yeah. He's wearing, he's still wearing Lori's jacket. And as he walks past um, Stephen, Stephen just kind of gets a, like a little smell. And he's like, oh my God, the, the jacket still smells like dad. And Ellen, of course, she just goes up and she hugs Andrew and gives him this big long hug. And she's like smelling the jacket and smiling. And it's, it's creepy it, as fuck. It's creepy as fuck. <laughs> yeah. But it, again, just shows how, like, com- the complete and utter disregard that anybody in Steven's family has for him. When yeah. even his own mom is not, you know. No, she's not even trying to hide that she likes Andrew more than she likes him. Yeah. And then, uh, and, and then of course, Andrew, he politely offers to let Steven smell the jacket. And Steven is like, no, I'll pass. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's some business here about uh, putting out peanuts which made me laugh um, that they're suggesting that peanuts might be a good idea. And Stephen says that they wouldn't be because peanuts are tramp bait. They'll just turn up for the salt, which made me laugh. But then there's some business with the ketchup, which I know you didn't enjoy. No, I hate ketchup. So I, I really, uh, and maybe it's British slang that I just was having a hard time hearing. Like I wasn't really sure what they were talking about with ketchup in bowls. I think it literally was just talking about putting ketchup in bowls. I don't think there was a hidden meaning there. Oh, okay, yeah, it, but it, it's weird because they're talking about how they have ketchup packets or some shit like that. Yeah, and... so I think that the the implication there was that ketchup sachets were less were more down market okay, than okay. if they just put them in a bowl. What is a sachet? Like a little packet. Oh shit! Okay, because that's what I didn't understand. Right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think the implication that Andrew was trying to make was that it was like it was more down market. Like you get those sachets in a chip shop, and they they're more classy than that. So they need to put ketchup in little bowls. Oh, okay, okay, all right. Make so it more you... artisan. Yeah, okay. So because I didn't know what a sachet was, I had no idea. This subplot made no sense to me right. whatsoever. I mean, it is a bit of a pointless subplot. I agree with you. It's a bit like the dog was in episodes one and two. Of I don't really care the ketchup's so important. You're dedicating quite a bit of t- time to this ketchup, and bleh. yeah. Um, Ellen wants to change the system that they have at the John Barleycorn to serve food. Uh, Stephen mentions that the current system is order drinks and food, roll in butter, additional butter above and beyond the supplied one is twenty five p, and two extra butters are recommended. 
pay for your food, take a numbered wooden spoon, proceed to cutlery and condiments table, wait for Jan or Mike to yell your name, raise your hand to receive meal, eat meal, enjoy meal, fuck off. Yeah, this was uh, pretty much every pub I've ever been into that sells food. This is pretty much the, the system. I was watching this episode, Banking My Notes, with my husband, and he paused it to say, write in your notes to ask Sean if they do the wooden spoon thing in America. So do you do the wooden spoon thing in America? Uh, we don't do the wooden spoon thing in America. However, we do have um, similar similar systems. systems that we use. Yeah. I don't know who decided that wooden spoons was the way forward, but this is something that happens in like all pubs where they serve food, is you have a numbered wooden spoon. Yeah, we have some places that I go to, they have like a, they'll have a, like a metal stand in the middle of the table and they'll give you a number and you just put the number in the stand or they'll, or they'll give you a, like a little pager kind of thing. Oh, the things that flash when it's your turn. Yeah. Yeah. That's if it's more upmarket, you know, if you're going to a TGI Fridays, you'll get the flasher. Whoa, TGI Fridays, fancy. (laughs) Yeah. If it's just a pub like the John Bollicorn, wooden spoon. Um, Ellen also mentions to Steven that people, somebody needs to talk to Mike and Jan to tell them that they aren't needed for the weekends. And Ellen is kind of leaning heavily on Steven to do it. And Steven, which I was glad that he did, he really stands up for himself here. And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to go tell Mike and Jan that we're not going to need them for the weekend. This is your idea. You guys do it. And then Andrew's like, okay, okay, we'll do it. That's fine. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I was glad he stood up for himself here because I thought he was just going to lay down and take it. Yeah, I thought so. I thought so too. I was a little worried that he was going to, um, you know, be like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do it. But no, he stands up for himself and he's like, no, this is your idea. Like, not my idea. We're going to, you know, we're going to do it. So, yeah. Um, we Next scene, we have Stephen and Allison. Allison, of course, is Stephen's ex-wife. And they're walking around Stroud. And they're just kind of talking. Uh, I felt like this scene, for the most part, was a little, I don't know, like, unimportant outside of the fact that Allison is selling their house that uh, her and Stephen used to live in. Yeah, they you find out that the house has been sold and you get a bit of a feeling, I guess, for what their marriage was like because they, they have a conversation about uh, memories from the house that's being sold and they agree that or Alison says that they don't have too many memories because they sold that or that he they got divorced not long after they bought the house but that mm-hmm. she does have some happy memories of watching Flo- Frozen Planet in the house and that and then and, and Stephen genuinely seems to sort of smile as though that were a fond memory of their marriage so I think that tells you everything you need to know about why they're now divorced. Yeah, I thought it was weird how affectionate they were being to each other in this scene. Yeah, I mean, I can't relate because I do not have a single ex that I would not cross the road to avoid. Um, But, no, that's not true. I've got one ex-boyfriend on Facebook, but a a long time ago. No one that I had a more serious or more recent relationship with I would talk to now. So it's very much outside of my uh sphere of understanding but yeah you're right it is a bit odd how affectionate they are they're 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 linking arms as they're walking to all intents and purposes you could still think that they were a married couple i think yeah um like i said the most important piece of information from this scene is that they're selling the house and um also that the dog now did you catch the dog's name no i've just seen that you wrote this and i know it went over my head I think I just zoned out at the thought of the fucking dog. Please don't bring the fucking dog back into this episode, is what I was thinking. 
Okay, I was really, really hoping that you would watch this with closed captioning on and could tell me what the name no, of the bag was. No, sorry, I don't know, no. Uh, what did okay. you thought it was luring? Lori or Loring? I couldn't really tell what the hell she was saying. I'll tell you what, I'm going to Google it right now to see if there's any information on the old Google. But we find out that the dog also has an anus problem, and but they're going to deal with the anus problem if it, you know comes to fruition <laughs> yes but i i think at that point i was just thinking please don't please don't bring this dog back i thought this dog was gone but that the dog is gone the dog doesn't reappear um why the fuck was it even in it to start with like it added nothing to the first two episodes and now it's it's gone as inexplicably as it was in the episodes yeah i don't know i i feel like the dog just is there for the purpose of moving the plot forward occasionally yeah, I hated the dog, but I'm glad it didn't come back. Mm hmm. Yeah, definitely. Me, me too. Me too. Now, if it was a cat, I would be like, no, no, we've <laughs> got to have the cat in every fucking episode. Like, yeah, I've just googled uh, back Channel Four dog, and all I've got is that Channel Four have commissioned a show called uh, The Dog Father about someone who trains dogs who behave badly. So, didn't <laughs> find that information, but at least that's going to be on air soon. Yeah, well, well, we'll figure that out eventually. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so then we're back kind of at the John... We're at the John Barleycorn again, and Jan and Mike are in a back room, and they are taking each individual ketchup packet, and they're cutting the lid off, and then they're dropping the ketchup into, like, a styrofoam bowl. Yeah. And, um, and they're just horrified. Like, Steven and Jeff are just, like horrified at what they're seeing yeah i thought this was just stupid i think mike and jan add some humor but they're the broadest characters in it and they've got some kind of broad moments that are, are too broad for me and i just thought oh this is stupid i just thought i just thought there was that there, there was no real humor to be had from this situation no i agree with you um jan and mike basically look out and they see steven and they say Hey, you know, Stephen Andrew told us that he wanted to talk to us. Uh, do you know what he wanted to talk to us about? And Stephen is like, "Oh, I'm sure he'll talk to you when he gets back." And they're like, "Well, but we'd really like to hear it from you first, you know." Yeah, they then confide that they don't really like Andrew, and um, that Andrew reminds Jan of Peter Sutcliffe, and I've written in my notes, "Me too," and um, they just say, you know, whatever it is, it'd be much better coming from you. Yeah, they ask they ask him if it's about the raise that they've been talking about, and Stephen makes it clear that you know, like, <laughs> hey, we're not going to give you guys a raise. You know, the pound sterling is just all over the place right now, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Um, and so then Stephen ends up by default having to tell them that yeah. they don't need to come in at the weekend. And it doesn't really go very well. No, it doesn't go very well. They don't really. They're not catching on to what he's trying to say, so he's trying to be subtle. They're not catching on to it. And then he ends up saying that they're just trying out some cover in case they're ever ill. And Mike points out that they've never found you sick, either of them, in seven years working there. And he's like, okay, well, it's just in case you ever get stabbed or kicked to death or strangled or deliberately set on fire. Yeah. And then uh, and then they're like, what, what, what the hell are you even talking about? Like, we don't, you know, that's not a thing that's going to happen. And um, <laughs> no. Yeah. And then again, we get kind of one of those short, sweet, and to-the-point scenes because the scene is pretty much over at this point. Yeah. Um, we have the John Barleycorn the next or later that day, I'm assuming, and 
The place is bustling. There's sexy bartenders that they call the fuckables behind the bar, and everything seems to just kind of be going be going well. Yeah, yeah, it was going great, and uh, everyone's sitting in the snug, the newly revamped snug, admiring the fuckables. Yeah, uh, Jeff comes in and he asks Andrew to go buy him a beer, and then they have kind of a funny scene that I'm going to insert here, so you can hear the little back and forth conversation that they have. Okay. You get me a pint, mate. I'm intimidated by the fuckables. They're just people, Jeff. No, they're not. They're sexy. They look like models. They've got that bone thing going on in their faces. You shouldn't be scared of sexy people, Jeff. Are they more scared of me than I am of them? Like with snakes? No, but still, don't be scared of them. They can't help being sexy. I guess some people are born sexy. That doesn't sound good. While others have sex in a thrust upon them. All that, to be honest. Oh, I skip the pint. Get back to my great new ketchup idea. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I just like that they call them the fuckables the entire time. Yeah, that's become their names with like a capital T and a capital F. Yep, no, uh, yep, no, uh, no character development outside of just being, outside of the fact that they are good looking. Yeah, exactly. Um, I really enjoy Jeff here as well. Uh, Jeff is, Jeff has some, some definite great humor here. Yeah, I'm definitely, I agree that, um, Jeff, the, uh, the ep the episodes that have more Jeff in them, I definitely enjoy a lot more. I think not that he's anything like Superhands, but Jeff is like my Superhands. Is he that the episodes are funny without him, but he always peps him up if he appears. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree mm. with you. He, he does he does fulfill that Superhands role, even though, like you said, he's not anything like Superhands. No, you know he he kind of says the outrageous things that everyone's thinking or. That you know, yeah. that everyone isn't thinking, but you know, would think if they let their minds wander into that kind of depravity. <laughs> yeah. Um, all of a sudden, all these TripAdvisor reviews start coming in, and they're all five stars, and everybody's like elated that there's all these five star reviews. Ellen has this funny line where they're like, "That's," she's like, or Andrew says something like, "That's three five star reviews," and Ellen just is like. Oh my god, that's 15 stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say though, this sort of TripAdvisor chat went over my head a bit. I was a bit like, uh, okay, where's this going? Like, I thought it was, it didn't end up being as predictable as I thought it was, but I was a bit like, oh, okay, I, I thought I could see where this was going and I was a bit bored by it. Yeah. Uh, Steven mm -hmm. gets really, really suspicious about this and basically kind of accuses um andrew of having like multiple trip advisor accounts that he's just using to kind of pad the uh um to pad the numbers for uh the trip advisor yeah he calls it uh fake news and says that he's got multiple sock puppet accounts is what he accuses him of yeah it's really funny uh although i i will be honest i'm so tired of hearing about fake news that <laughs> The hearing it in the show just really, I was like, oh my god, why, why are you mentioning this? Please? I know it's like one of those things that's clearly is like a big deal over there and is being said a lot, but it's one of those things over here that like it sounds a little bit like an English person trying to say that's rad. It doesn't sound right. So often now it's just sort of coming into vogue that our politicians will say on things like, if they've been interviewed by the anchor on the news or whatever, someone might say, oh, well, that's fake news, John. And you think, don't say that. You can't get away with that. That's like trying to say, that's awesome in an American accent. It just really jars. Oh, it's, <laughs> oh my God. It's just, I'm so tired of hearing about fake news. Um, um, 
and then at this point, um, Stephen. Oh, sorry, I just can't stop thinking about fake news. <laughs> um, Stephen, like I said, he also he starts to get concerned because he's worried that a sudden flurry of sti- five star reviews will cause TripAdvisor to send in the Black Ops reviewer and then uh, reviewers, and then they're going to get a rash of zero star <laughs> reviews, and then the pub is fucked. He also says that the pub is not a five-star establishment. It's a two, three-star at best establishment. Yeah, no, he, he's quite... Stephen is a negative person, but he's quite realistic, I think, in some ways. And he knows that, that you know, there's no point reaching for the stars. They know what they are. They know what they do well. Let's just keep it at that. And I think there's there's yeah. something to be said for that. Yep, I agree. Um, at this point, he goes to... He stands up to walk to the back of John Barley, the John Barleycorn in... He walks into this back room and Jeff is in like a little kiddie pool and all the ketchup packets are in there. And he's just like stomping away at the ketchup packets like they're fucking he's a person making wine. And it just Yeah. Jeff is treading the ketchup. Oh, and I was like, okay, I guess this is the payoff is that we get to see Jeff (laughs) smashing ketchup with his feet. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was silly, although I did enjoy when Stephen is pulled by it. Um Jeff shouts, Stephen, you need to get some some John's water. Sorry, Stephen, you need to get some some John's water or something because you are one negative guy. And that did make me laugh a lot. Yeah, that did crack me up too. I said to my husband that I was going to get that put on his gravestone because that is pretty much him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Later that day, we're we're back at the family house and Andrew and Cass are up in Cass's room. She says... uh, you know, they start talking about like the fact that she lives with her mom and she's like, Oh, I haven't always lived with my mom. And, um, she starts just kind of talking to him. And, um, Andrew throughout this entire scene is just really, really subtly manipulating her. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Like how well he does, you know, he knows exactly which buttons to press with cast to just get her to be agreeable to whatever he says. Yeah. He's a master manipulator. Um, cast really reminds me here a bit of, Jamie or Barney, who are basically the same character in Peep Show with that kind of pathetic, even though she's like four, she's 20 years older than either of them, but that kind of like pathetic, tried to do it, didn't really succeed, but also feeling like they're actually quite vulnerable and people are taking advantage of that vulnerability. Yeah, I think that's a real accurate representation of Cass, Cass's character because she just, I think she just really wants somebody to love her. And yeah. so she's just really, you know, reaching out to the first person that is showing any sort of attention to her. Yeah. And um, she talks about how she always wanted to go traveling, but never got to go um, because there are all these like travel books in her room. And Andrew's asking more about it. And she says that she's been to Bologna and uh, she went in the fourth year and bought a flick knife, um, which made me laugh because that's like a standard school trip for in secondary schools over here is to go like Paris, Belgium, like those kind of European places and get into a scrape. In my year at school, <laughs> it was that some girls, went, we went to Park Asterix in Paris and some girls, I wasn't involved in this, but some girls got into a fight with some Spanish girls over a boy. One of them punched a Spanish girl in the face, but the Spanish girls were much harder than they were. Ended up getting carted down to the police station and got arrested. So it's a pretty, pretty standard cast had a flick knife. <laughs> the girls at my school were arrested. Oh, uh, that's that's really really funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I didn't. I I went to quite a nice school as well, so I'm sure there's some far worse worse stories coming out. But it did make me think of that. So Casa 
Cass has been to Bologna, but not since she was 15 when she bought a flick knife. But she also says that she went to, where did she say she went? She went to Thailand? Yeah, that wasn't true though, was it? No, no, not at all. Because you can tell she's lying. She, you can tell she's lying because <laughs> she's just agreeing to everything that um, that uh, Andrew is asking. You know, yeah, she, she says oh, she had the longest try... noodles ever. Yeah, did you try the noodles? Yeah. Oh, what did you think? Oh, they were sweet and spicy, and it's like pretty obvious that they were neither. You know. Yeah. But then it just makes um, me wonder: like, has Andrew been to Thailand before? Like, would he know enough to be able to, you know, call her out on the, on the uh, the lie? That's a good point, actually. Yeah, we're assuming that he's been to these places, but maybe he hasn't. Yeah. Um. We're back at the John Barleycorn, and it's Cass and Steven at the bar. And Cass just pretty much asks Steven point blank if she should sleep with Andrew. Um, and, and then she, but she adds, it would sort of be like incest with none of the negatives, but all of the positives. Yeah, and Steven's um, like, all of the positives of incest. He's very confused by this, as was I, but she's clearly um, looking for some kind of positive reinforcement that she mm -hmm. should be like going for Andrew but I did think it was a bit weird that she tells Stephen because Stephen is not gonna say yes that sounds like a good idea yeah I thought that was really strange too that she would just be so you know like if my sister was like hey Sean should I sleep with such and such person I would be like well I you know sure yeah uh, if, I, that's I, don't, rude. I don't care it's about really it. nothing to do with me so yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess it had to happen to drive the plot forward and for us to, because we're seeing it from from Stephen's point of view and in, in, in terms of how he feels about Andrew, but I did think it was a bit odd. Yeah, I like how he points out that it's technically not incest, and um, and then uh, he sees some like kind of fancy-looking guests in the the John Barleycorn, and he's you know wonders if these are the TripAdvisor Black Ops, and Cass again points out that. TripAdvisor Black Ops are not really a thing that exists. Yeah, and he's putting far too much value on the commodity of little packets of butter. Because yeah. he says that he's going to go and give them some free butters. So that's his plan as he goes over to speak to them. Yeah, um, he walks over to this, like, kind of... Oh, I also like how he says that uh, smart people don't come to the John Barleycorn. It's usually, like, thickos and average people. Yeah, he's, like, normally average people with, like, a smattering of proper thickos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he heads over to the posh couple, and um, he starts kind of talking to them about it. And they reveal that they are there because uh, they're looking for a weekend house, and they're looking at a place called Heron Cottage, which is the name of his house that he has with Allison. Yeah, and he tries to put them off by implying that it's an absolute drugs den around there. Yeah, I like that. He's like, oh, I'm glad they're buying houses over there now. There's a lot of activity, you know, <laughs> buying selling smoking <laughs> injecting the little thing where they heat up the spoon <laughs> <laughs> yeah whatever that is um so the old couple looked look sort of appalled and he moves away thinking that his work is done yeah um jan and mike walk into the pub and they say they're just there for a drink because now that they don't work the weekends they can't afford a meal um and you know they they basically walk in and kind of start to guilt trip steven at that point yeah yeah um which and i don't blame him no um but they're not they don't do a very good job of it because they're not very threatening and they're, they're you know genuinely nice people so they kind of fail at this yeah 
Um, Ellen then storms in saying that the UMCs left their bad trip revisor reviews and um, Stephen looks a little happy about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, note that away for later on. Uh, yeah, he looks happy about it. Um, in the very next scene, we have Stephen and he's at a laundromat doing his laundry and Andrew just kind of slides in next to him at the laundromat and they start to have a little conversation. Why is it a long jet though? This really bothered me. He, I know he's living in a caravan, but his mum's got a house with a washing machine in and he was previously staying at his mum's house. So surely he doesn't have to go to a laundrette to do his washing. Maybe he just doesn't feel like he's welcome at the house right now because everybody treats him like shit. I guess that could be true. Or maybe they were just looking for the most depressing possible backdrop for this conversation. I don't know. Yeah. And then uh, Andrew starts to kind of talk about how he thought that the TripAdvisor reviews were weird because the UMCs seemed to be old hat at TripAdvisor. But when he looked at the TripAdvisor accounts, they all had... Um, they all were brand new accounts that had been just created. And then when he did further examination, which I I do not know how this next part is possible. And they all came from the same IP address. And that was for the computer, John Barleycorn. So I don't know how the fuck he was able to get the IP addresses. Because I don't even think that's possible. No, I thought this. So I don't know loads about computers, but I know enough to know that there are certain things that you can trace the IP addresses of but I have a TripAdvisor account and I have the app on my phone. So I immediately went to it to see what information, like what it posts and what information it has about me in my like personal settings. And I thought, I just don't see how that would be feasible, but all right, whatever. For the sake of this storyline, it is feasible. Yeah, that uh, like that really kind of, I don't know. It's probably stupid to, you know, focus on stuff like that, but that really just kind of was like, that's not how computers work. <laughs> I guess they're hoping that people don't know enough about it to question it. So I mean, yeah. it's just one of those things where I think it's, you know, it exists to move the plot forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so then Andrew says that he thinks it was probably the fuckables that did it to get back at them and that he's going to fire them. And then he calls Mike and Jan, and he says that they're going to bring him back to the John Barley Corn, and he's going to give them a same uh, a substantial pay raise. So yeah. he has he has succeeded in making you know doing a good thing for Jan and Mike, and bring them over onto his side of the team. Yeah, he's basically this has all been to make Mike and Jan his bitches. I think. Yep, I would agree with that. Um. And it works because the very next scene is of Mike and Jan back in the pub where they belong. And Andrew is uh, saying that they're back and that's great. And um, and then uh, Stephen makes a joke about the ravens in the tower, which completely goes over their head. And Jan says that don't ravens eat nappies in landfill. I don't want to be one of them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I didn't really get that. I'll be honest, I really didn't get that joke. So it was OK. Oh, so... Um, so the, at the Tower of London, there are these two ravens that they like hang out on a wall. And the the, the uh, legend is that if they ever leave the tower, the monarchy will fall and that we'll have no monarchy. That, that'll be it. So that's the joke is that the ravens are back in the tower. Jan and Mike are back on the throne. Oh, gotcha. Okay, that makes... <laughs> yeah. Okay, that makes sense now. Yeah, um, yeah. And... Uh... So that was a short scene, and then we get the next scene where 
they're at the caravan or they're in the caravan. Stephen and Allison are in the caravan talking to each other. And um, Allison is kind of chiding Stephen for writing the fake trip advisor reviews. Yes. Uh, um, and then she, but she's not really telling him off, but I think she just thinks that why is he wasting his mental energy on this? Yeah. And he says that he was trying to save the bar and, you can kind of tell that Allison is maybe a little worried that maybe Steven isn't sleeping enough or anything like that. And she asks how the caravan bed is. And he says, it's like sleeping on a bed of hot doorknobs. Which... Yeah. That made me laugh. That's like, I've slept on a few mattresses like that. Yeah. Yeah. My, when I was deployed, the cot that we slept on might as well have been a, a hot bed of hot doorknobs. So then we find out that <laughs> the uh, TripAdvisor Black Ops people have decided to buy the Heron Cottage after all in that in that Steven's attempt to get them to not buy the um, the cottage actually like prompted them to step up their game and yeah they thought he was after it himself and therefore they went in and made an offer immediately yep and then that is pretty oh, and then uh, Steven basically ends the episode saying that like Oh, I bet the guy that tried to get them to stop buying the cottage feels like a real asshole right now. So <laughs> yeah, and that the ends there. Yeah. Um. Uh, of the two episodes we're gonna mm-hmm. review, I think this one was okay. Um. But I liked episode four. I, I guess the odd numbered episodes of back have not been as good as the even numbered episodes. That's that's true. That's a good observation. Yeah, I laughed, but not as much as I went on to laugh at episode four. Yeah. Um, there was a, there's a couple funny parts in here, but really episode four is where the good shit happens. Yeah. Where the lows are. Yeah. And I think that's, and then I think that's just natural because of our six episode season, we've got to really kind of get the story going and episode four does a good job of getting the story going. It does. There's, there's plot development here. Serious plot development. Yeah. So episode four kicks off with kind of the whole crew outside of the John Barleycorn. They're offloading all of Cass's art to bring inside so she can raise money for traveling. Um, Her and Steven kind of have another conversation about how she's never going to go traveling. And she kind of accuses him of being her cosmic lasso. Yeah. And he's just like, well, it's not me keeping you back. Um, but there probably is an element of truth in that. There probably is an element that the family dynamic has kept Cass where she is. Yeah. Um, at this point, we hear the first mention of the soup vis. And I'll be honest with you, it was really not until I was taking my notes that I finally figured out what the fuck a soup, what soup vis meant. No, me neither, really. I, I kind of filed it away in, oh, that's a that's an acronym or something for something but hadn't really it wasn't until i took notice that i realized it was short for supplier visit or supplier visit yeah i i thought it was a french i thought it was french or something (laughs) yeah because we're always saying weird things and normally they're french i can see that why you might assume that yeah i was just like oh okay um yeah so laura used to do one every year and now uh stephen and andrew are gonna well andrew was gonna go off and do it but stephen this is also um this is also the point at which um before andrew just steps into this scene this is the point at which stephen voices to cast that could it be the case that andrew is not actually a boy they fostered 30 years ago and i've underlined this because this has been my theory throughout is that andrew is not the real andrew yeah um at this point um Steven tells Cass that he thinks that uh, 
that he thinks that Andrew is the devil come to steal his life and, and Cast is like, oh, who the fuck would want to steal your life? Yeah, yeah, but I think there may be some truth in that. I've yeah. still that point. Well, so this will be a good, this will be, I think this will be a good plot, a uh, good time to bring up my new theory on this show. Yeah, which is, go on. Okay, so you got to kind of, it's a little out there, and I completely understand that this is probably not where the show is going, but it's my theory nonetheless. You gotta have a theory. Yep. I think Andrew is an angel. Because right. if you look at it, ultimately, everything he does ends up kind of being somewhat beneficial down down the road. You know, like, they had the fuckables, but then they hired Jan and Mike back. Jan and Mike got a raise. Like, everything that we've seen him do everything that we've seen him do has had some sort of positive outcome the defurb refurb i mean has seemed to kind of inject new life in the john barleycorn the snack and field event did a lot of good you know brought a lot of goodwill towards the city or towards the pub um the only there's now the two counterpoints that i have to this are the guy he let die on the plane but for all we know, that guy could be a horrible monster. And That's true. by letting him die, you know, he prevented thermonuclear destruction of the earth. <laughs> and um, the cab driver, um, you know, convincing the cab driver to leave his wife to hook up with his goddaughter. Um, but we don't know anything about his wife, and maybe she's a serial killer, and he saved that his is, wife. That is also true. I, I, I agree with you. I don't think this is where the show's going, but I like a theory, and... I can see that we are also only seeing things really from... We, we must assume that we are Stephen's eyes and ears. We are being encouraged to see things from Stephen's point of view. And mm-hmm. maybe Stephen is the bad one. Maybe he's got some terrible personality disorder. Maybe he completely... He's got a completely skewed idea of the world. We know he's got a drink problem. We know that he's quite a negative person. Perhaps by being encouraged to see Andrew through Stephen's eyes, that's actually not a true representation of him. Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, this is probably not what is going to happen, but it's my working theory right now. Okay. So, All we'll, right. we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, outside of the JLB... JLB, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I just have in my notes, because uh, I got tired of typing out John Barleycorn, so I just started typing JB. So... <laughs> yeah. Um, Outside of the John Barleycorn, Ellen and Andrew are kind of um, reviewing the supplier visit mm-hmm. that he's going to be going on. And Ellen lets Stephen know that Andrew is going to be doing this, the supplier visit. And Stephen is really upset about this. And I don't blame him because he's like, oh, so the face of the John Barleycorn is going to be this fucking guy. It's not even related to us by blood. Yeah, I, I thought this was a fair point. And I thought it was, uh, I thought it was unreasonable that um the the, the, the mum couldn't see it from his point of view because like surely you wouldn't have to have much emotional intelligence to see his dad's just died this is something that his dad used to do every year maybe he's gonna want to be part of that yeah and i mean i do understand where she's coming from when she says well you know we need somebody to stay here to run run the pub okay i completely get that have andrew run the pub yeah yeah i he seems to have so many ideas about the pub that they all love. I don't see why yeah. he wouldn't be the first choice to do that. Yeah. Um, but Andrew actually suggests that Jeff can run the pub. And Ellen says that that's a wonderful idea. 
he's a natural publican just like and then this part really cracked me up too she goes he's a natural publican just like and she puts her hand on steven's shoulder and steven kind of smiles and then she just goes your dad and (laughs) then he gets that like puppy dog look that he's so fucking awesome at doing yeah yeah i laughed at that as well um the next the next part i momentarily forgot which side of the road you crazy guys drive on and i was like why are they driving on the wrong side of the road and then i remembered oh yeah you guys drive on the wrong side of the road i guess because you're you probably are less um used to watching british things on the tv you probably it does it probably jars you in a way it doesn't jar us i was thinking this when i read your notes was that when i watch american things it doesn't even phase me for a second that you drive on the wrong side of the road, but that's probably just because there's so much more no, no. American culture coming our way. You drive on the wrong side of the road. I mean, to be fair, I think we do drive on the wrong side of the road. I think there's only like three countries that drive on our side of the road, and <laughs> I don't even know why we do it. It's something to do with horses, isn't it? I've read this that it's something to do with the way we used to ride our horses. Yeah, they have the con- they have a conversation about because um, it wouldn't be a, a Mitchell and Webb show without David Mitchell's character being just completely befuddled by cars but he does um, can can david mitchell drive that's a i i don't expect you to know this i know you're not mates but i'm just wondering why this comes up so often i don't i don't know it's so it's so weird it just seems like every david mitchell show he just is like utterly incapable of driving a car at least david mitchell i'm i'm googling it can david mitchell sing can david mitchell drive at least in this show he knows how to drive but he just can't drive a stick which is fair Mm, in 2012 he was talking about learning to drive all right so Uh, he he didn't he didn't drive five years ago all right so Uh, it's safe to assume that he somewhat knows how to drive oh yeah but clearly this comes from this comes from a place of truth as maybe he did not always drive yeah or yeah, so yeah, but he there's there's some back and forth about how he can only drive an automatic. Um and uh Andrew laughs at him for this, but I can only drive an automatic, so I'm with um I'm with Steven on this. I think it's what modern people do. Yep, I can drive both, so now I probably couldn't drive a I would probably have a really, really hard time driving an automatic in England, um, having to shift with my left hand and do everything all ass backwards from what i'm used to yeah see i learned i i started learning to drive with gears because that's the normal way here is that people drive geared cars um and i um i just thought this is bad enough without having to put gears into the equation um so i just started learning auto and i passed quickly so i never thought to it was never like in part of the conversation that it was just like okay you can do this without so why bother but um, it's quite unusual here to only go to drive an automatic. Yeah, I I think I, I found that weird too. Just from what I know about um, um, driving over in England, that it seemed it would seem really strange to me that somebody wouldn't know how to drive a a stick shift. Yeah, I couldn't drive till I was in my early twenties, and I wanted to learn to drive in a hurry because I wanted to be able to do a particular trip and basically it was just like a pragmatic decision of okay you can probably learn to drive in like eight weeks if you take gears out of the equation so that's what i did that was the reason yeah i had the chance to buy a car for a hundred dollars but it was a stick shift and so i was like well i guess i'm learning how to drive a standard so yeah 
Yeah. Learned how to drive a standard pretty quick. It, it's amazing how motivated you can be to drive a car when it only costs you a hundred bucks. <laughs> That's true. Um, they then have a conversation about how um, Andrew's done everything. So Stephen sort of says sardonically, "Is there anything yeah. you haven't done?" Yeah, because yeah. uh, Andrew mentions that he drove coast to coast in an RV in America, and that was where he learned to drive a standard. And um, as Stephen is just like, oh, I'm sure, uh, you know, is there anything that you haven't done? And Andrew just says, well, I haven't, you know, I haven't skydived. And then he pauses and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I sure did. I raised 3,000 pounds for charity. Yeah, so it's, he really has done everything, apparently. That seems like a really strange thing for me to, to me anyways, that seems like a strange thing to forget, even if it's, you know, like, just momentarily. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I thought it was a lie. I thought it was just added to his kind of sociopathic yeah. characters, traits. Uh, we jump back to the John Barleycorn and we get to see our first look at Jeff the Publican. And I bloody love Jeff the Publican. Oh my God. Jeff the Publican is fucking amazing. He's amazing. He's in a bow tie and he is just loving it. He's like Lord of the Manor standing at the bar. Yeah. Uh, one of the uh, a guy walks past the bar and Jeff is just like, oh, do you want the usual? I don't know what the usual is, but <laughs> how would you like a beer? And the guy's like, no, I'm just going to step outside for a fag real quick. And Jeff is like, oh, you can smoke in here. It's okay. Yeah. And uh, then Jan points out that the smoke detectors are inside and they'll go off. And he says that they should take the batteries out because we aren't part of the bloody EU anymore. Yep. And and uh, he's like, um, you know, this is going to be an olden day celebration, olden day theme pub. There's going to be smoking, cheese and pickle rolls. And I'm glad that you interpreted because I could not understand the last part. And a collection of the lifeboat men. Collection for the lifeboat men. Yeah, that's uh, so we have a proud tradition in this country of we are an island we value our lifeboat services and uh, they are a big charity. The national, the, I think they're the Royal Lifeboat Association and clearly they're near a coast or something and they always used to collect for their lifeboat men. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, Jeff just looks like he's having just such a fantastic time running the John Barleycorn. Yeah, he's loving it. Um, we also We also get kind of our first real kind of up close glance of Cass's artwork. And we realize that all of Cass's artwork kind of has a similar theme to it. Yeah, all, everything has got Andrew in it somehow. Even what was meant to be a painting of some old ladies, they look like Andrew. Yep, everything looks like Andrew. And, and Allison actually points this out to Cass. You know, she's like, oh, hey, all your stuff looks like Andrew. And No, she doesn't say that. She says it looks like someone else is obsessed with Andrew. Because they're talking about Stephen being obsessed with Andrew. Oh, yeah, yeah and you're she's, right, you're right. And, then, and Cass says... Uh, oh, are you, like, do you fancy him? That's the yeah. Cass pushes it back on Allison. I think somebody else. I think somebody else is projecting or some something like that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, you definitely see that Cass is like really obsessed with Andrew at this point. Yeah, she's she wants him. Yep, she does. Um, yeah. So once we get done at the John Barleycorn, we get some more of the road trip with Stephen and Andrew. Uh, I thought this part was pretty funny too. Their little conversation in the car. Yeah, they're having a genuine conversation. Um, maybe for the first time it, that we've seen them actually connecting in any real way. Yeah, um, Stephen is kind of just pumping Andrew for information about where he went after the um, after he was done living with after he was done being fostered by them. And uh, yes, 
you just find out some more about Andrew's life. He went from care to mom, back to foster care, um, dad, which was hellish, back to care, foster care, and then he was done. So yeah, yeah, and um, Stephen asks uh, Andrew then asks if it's a, a test. Are you why are you asking me this? And he's like, no, no, it's not a test, but mm, maybe it is a bit. Yeah, um, and then Stephen is like, oh, you you had a rough life, or. And Andrew's like, well, you know, we all have our crosses to bear. And Stephen is just like, oh, what's my cross to bear? And he's like, oh, you're still in love with Allison. And I like that he just says it so matter-of-factly. And Yeah, bluntly. like everyone knows anyway. So that's, yeah, so he obviously is. But it's kind of, it's almost nice that he knows that and that he's acknowledging that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked it too. And um, Andrew then tells Stephen, like, hey, I hope... I hope while we're out on tour, we meet somebody for you. And of course, Stephen is like, "Oh, we're not on tour, you, you know, fucking idiot." And yeah, he doesn't want. Uh, he doesn't want anything to. Uh, to he doesn't like the word tour. He says we're not on tour. Jimmy Page and visit pork scratches factory is not his peak anyway. Yeah, and uh, speaking of pork scratchings, the next scene we are at the Sunnyvale f- Farm Food. Jesus, Sunnyvale Farm Foods. This scene I just found really funny. It was short. It was short, which I liked, and it was funny, and it hit you with the joke, and then it was on to the next scene. Yes, and um, they are they go and meet the supplier who doesn't have a uh, fucking clue who they are. Yeah, he's like, oh, Laurie, yeah, I think I met him once. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and uh, Steve, you can tell that Steven is like a little put off by the fact that this guy doesn't know who Laurie is. Yes, um, and he's like, oh, what, why are we doing this uh, tour if no one cares? Yeah. Um, then, And then the real meat of this joke, no pun intended, <laughs> is that uh, Kevin, who's in charge of Sunnyvale Farm Foods, he invites them inside to see how the pork scratchers are made. And Scratchings, scratchings. Oh, pork, pork scratchings, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he invites. I was like, gonna ask if you have them in America. You obviously don't. Yeah, obviously don't, because I don't know <laughs> what the hell they are. Um, but he invites them inside the slaughterhouse, and so, you know, they're both excited to walk in the slaughterhouse, and then all of a sudden, the very next, like, probably what is it, like, probably two seconds later, you see him just like running out of the, running out of the slaughterhouse, and they've got their white, uh, jackets on and everything, and they're just like. Jesus, they were scratching the shit out of those pigs. <laughs> yeah, it says, we can't be part of this. We've got to stop selling these. We can't be part of this. Yeah. Um, I think uh, pork scratches actually are probably... I'm not a vegetarian, but I'm I'm more vegetarian than I'm not. I eat fish. That's about it. It might have the odd bit of chicken. I don't eat red meat. And I think it is products such as pork scratches that from a young age made me think that I didn't really want to eat meat. It's a bit nasty. I mean, are they like pork rinds or like what are it's they? It's like it's like pork, you know, like pork crackling, like the skin. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. And it's like bits, but they sell them in packets like crisps, and you can buy them in pubs. I mean, it is filth. I don't know oh, okay. why. We call it's, it's... we call those pork rinds over here. Right. Okay. Yeah. They're um they're, they're pretty old school thing to eat. I don't know anyone under the age of about fifty who would chow down on a packet of pork scratchings for fun. Yeah, according to Wikipedia, they are pork rinds in America, pork scratchings literally every place else. Mm. Bit grim, basically. Um, yeah. All right. And then next we have. Yeah, so. Sorry. 
Yeah, so it's really funny how the scene just, they walk inside, then they turn around and walk out. Um, I really enjoyed that scene. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, now we're back at the John Barleycorn, and the John Barleycorn is, like, jumping. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely chock full of people and smoke. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of smoke inside the John Barleycorn <laughs> at this point. Um, <laughs> these little kids, <laughs> I shouldn't say little kids, they're probably, like, 13, 14, walk up to the bar, and they ask for... Jaeger bombs or something like that and and Jan is just like no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna serve you this is obviously a fake ID but Jeff kind of overrules him and is like I'll oh, just serve him yeah he says lads need to learn how to drink in pubs the alternative not drinking in pubs can often lead to jihad yeah which uh, is hilarious because they're the whitest boys who in and I imagine that the uh the village that they're in doesn't have loads of jihadists to be honest yeah I also really like when the kid then is like well, maybe you should make those drinks free or I'm going to threaten to, you know, grass on you or something like that. And then Jeff just leans over and in the creepiest voice imaginable, he just goes, I would fucking blind you. And then they're... <laughs> yeah, he really is a natural publican. Yeah. And... I, I will. Sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, and then the boys are like, oh, okay. Uh, All right, yeah, we'll just take right. our drinks and, you know, no go off into our own little corner by ourselves. Yeah, I will say that I definitely was getting served in pubs when I looked their age, though. I thought that that was... It's, mu it's got much harder in, I'd say, the last 15 years to get served underage in this country. But back when I was sort of 16, 15, 16, would have had no problem looking that young in a pub like the John Barleycorn. Yeah, th when, I was in, when I was in tech school learning my job in the military, there was a, a, there was a bar that was outside of the base that as long as you showed a military ID would just serve you regardless of how young or old you were. So it was kind of the, it was kind of the fun place where like you and your friends would go and then you would, you know, go have a couple beers and then walk back to base. Yeah. I think that for boys, it was maybe harder, but certainly as a girl, like, oh, especially yeah, as, sure. you know, as soon, as soon as you got boobs and you're, you know, over five foot, really not a problem getting served. Yeah. <laughs> um, we see that Julian and Ellen are off in the off to the side of the John Barleycorn, and they're with two. I'm assuming drug addicts of some kind. Yes, yeah, some drug folk. I think it's people from the drug uh, rehabilitation scheme. Yeah, I really like this because they're you know um, they're kind of talking about you know oh well we'll you know we're gonna do this outreach for you and you know they're talking about how. Um, you know, everybody, everybody is a, you know, child of God and stuff like that. And is just kind of going on and on about the drug re outreach. And then uh, one of the guys just looks at Ellen and he goes, oh, have you ever tried that? You've never had acid before? And Ellen is like, no, just, you know, just a toke. And he's like, oh. And then he mouths the words, would you like some? And she just responds, she just mouths the words, yes, please, back to him, which really, really cracked me up. Yeah, I am. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I find Ellen quite irritating as a character. This was quite funny, but it kind of feeds into this, like, hippie old lady trope again, which I was a bit like, oh, okay. I rolled my eyes a little bit at this, but it does pay off. She is funny once she's on acid. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have some, I have my own little, uh, my, my own little issue with her being on acid but we'll we'll get to that when we we'll get, get to, to that, that scene. Um, next scene we have Stephen and Andrew, and they're at a Thai restaurant. And this is another one of like Andrew, where he tries to swing his dick around a little bit, and he tells, you know, 
he tells Steven, you know, oh, the Thai rest Thai food isn't about spice, it's about, you know, something else. And, complex flavors. Yeah, yeah, complex flavors and um Andrew or Steven, excuse me, just really does not want to eat at this Thai restaurant. He has irritable bowel syndrome and he's worried that it'll flare up and I mean, fair dues to him. Yeah, absolutely. And um, he then makes a Moore's joke, which I was pleased with, which made me laugh. Um, but he says he wants to eat here because he doesn't want to be stuck out on the moors during the rain, doesn't want to get fucked by bears. Yeah. And then he says that probably Andrew was already fucked by bears and it was probably magical, but he's not into it. Yeah, I really that that uh that joke really cracked me up when he's like, I suppose you've been fucked by bears and it was magical because I <laughs> all I could think of was Quan talking. Yeah, exactly. The Moors, the Moor murderers, and <laughs> never once did Jeremy mention potentially being fucked by a bear. So no, that didn't come up. No, no. Yeah, I found that. Um, they come. So a little while later, we see them in the restaurant, and Stephen is coming back, presumably from the toilet, and he is in a bad way. He says he doesn't want to talk about it. Yep, and uh, he sits down at the he sits down at the table to try to use the chopsticks, and he just fails miserably with the chopsticks and it made me laugh because i am really really good with chopsticks are you good with chopsticks i'm really good with chopsticks but i'm good with chopsticks because i had a boyfriend who had lived in japan and was completely like obsessive about he would never let me get a fork so i had to either learn how to use chopsticks or not eat and i love japanese food so i had no choice um so my, my chopstick technique is good, but I would say that the mental abuse I suffered in order for it to be good is a bit sad. But poor old Stephen can't yeah. use chopsticks. And, yeah. and and Andrew says, would you like me to get you a spoon? And he says that he doesn't like it, so not being able to pick it up is an, an advantage as yep. far as he's concerned. Yep. Yeah, total total advantage as far as he, as he is concerned. And um, he also then at that point um, finishes off the bottle of wine. And There's then, already two bottles on the table. Yeah. Yeah, and then orders a new one, so... Yeah, he says they're drinking the second cheapest red. Yeah. Um, oh, and then I guess we also should probably bring up the point where they... Andrew starts talking about a game called Clunk, Clunk Splash that they used to play down by the canal. Yes, when they were children. Yeah, when they were children, and he's like, what, you don't remember Clunk Splash? And... Um, st- st- Steven just has no memory whatsoever of Clunk Splash. No, the general premise of the game seems to be that they throw a stone and it has to hit something that makes it clunk and if it splashes they win and if it doesn't they don't. I think that's the basic premise of Clunk Splash. Yeah, it was they bounced it off of a a metal can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And into the river. So when it would hit the metal can it would go clunk and then when it would hit the canal it would splash. Yeah. Um, and Andrew brings up they used to play it with a kid called Smelly Ellis, who uh, Stephen has no memory of. Yeah, yeah. And then this little part really, really, really made me laugh, too, where he's describing how Smelly Ellis looks. And you keep seeing, like, flashbacks of this character. And his face keeps changing depending on how uh, Andrew is describing him to Stephen. Yeah, so he says, first of all, that he looked like Thingy Harris, and Stephen's like, Rolf Harris, and then you see him change into little Rolf Harris, and then he's like, no, Keith Harris, uh, and then we see Keith Harris, like a little Keith Harris with Orville the Duck, and he's like, without Orville, and the duck vanishes. Yeah, that really cracked me up. I, I obviously don't know who those two people are, but uh, I was... Do you not? Did you not get even Rolf Harris over there? He's Australian. He's in disgrace now, because he's been, he's one of the sex scandal... Uh, 
casualties along with uh, Jimmy Savile and Co. But, oh, um, shit. No, he I didn't. Is, um, he's an Australian... I don't know what he is, really. He was a painter, like an artist, but he was like a an all-round entertainer. He sang a song about Jake the Peg and his extra leg. He was... Yeah, but he's Australian. He's not actually British, but he was like a British institution. Um, and Keith Orville was just a novelty act with a toy duck. Oh, uh, yeah, that... Uh, yeah we didn't get that over here no i'm not surprised that you didn't get keith orville and harris uh keith harris and orville i'm a bit surprised that rolf harris wasn't more international as he was australian but whatever he yeah. clearly just came over here to do his nonsense yeah um but uh they talk about how smelly ellis just kind of vanished one day and um they but they neither of them really can remember why he vanished no um then sort of without even kind of saying it out loud that kind of Andrew gets into Stephen's head that maybe he might have murdered Smelly Ellis, which I thought was a bit of a leap. But then I suppose Andrew is persuasive and able to get into people's heads. Yeah. Um, and, and Stephen says sometimes children kill other children, not like yeah. Lord of the Flies and not Bugsy Malone, but and leaves it hanging. And we kind of think, oh, maybe not, not not that i didn't ever think they really did but i thought maybe there was something more sinister going on with smelly Ellis. yeah and i actually did get the bugsy malone reference so i thought that was pretty funny <laughs> yeah yeah um we get later that night at an inn we have steven knocking on andrew's door and steven looks like a little drunk but he's really really worried that he killed smelly ellis and, and yeah he's probably got in his head he's he doesn't want to be on his own yeah and Andrew is really funny in this scene because he, he mentions, uh, oh, I found a part in my diary where you you and Smelly Ellis went to the canal by yourself. And I know I didn't kill Smelly Ellis. Did you kill Smelly Ellis? <laughs> and then he has a flashback where he's like smashing this kid's head in with a rock and he's just screaming, this didn't happen. <laughs> I didn't actually do this. And it's pretty funny. Yeah, um, and Stephen makes the point that what have you got the red mist like Kenneth Noy or Naomi Campbell or the Hulk? So he's really he's really frightened at this point that he's done something terrible. Yeah, and then he he says like, oh, can we Google Smelly Ellis? And then Andrew's like, well, I don't know. Do you know what his first name is? Smelly's probably not his first name, unless Ellis is his first name. And then I have no clue what his surname is. No. So, next scene. It's the next morning, and they're at a vineyard, and once again we kind of see this trend where the person is familiar with Lori, but this idea that Lori has been out there every year to meet with them is, you know, completely absurd. Yeah. Um, this woman is called Annie and she is beautiful. Oh, and, God. And, and um, seemingly wants, he's flirting with Stephen, which seems unlikely to me, but there you go. Uh, yeah, and the flirting starts really early on, and I, I really enjoy it because they're sampling the wine that she makes. And um, Andrew is, of course, being like a sommelier where he's, you know, he's swirling the wine around and he's smelling it. And he's, you know, talking about the tannin and the whatever else there is. And then um, Stephen just takes his swig of wine. And he's like, mmm, fruity. And she's like, yeah, fruity. Like, fuck yeah. I like this yeah, guy. Uh, wine stuff is just such bollocks, isn't it? That's oh. the, I just thought, oh, I hate wine people. That was what I wrote in my notes. Oh. I hate wine people. I hate wine people too. I, I shouldn't say I hate wine people, but <laughs> I, I just don't. 
I just don't get wine people, to be honest with you. No, is that I and I, I never again. Maybe I'm judging this on the same boyfriend with the chopsticks, <laughs> but he was he was a wine person, and he was the most pretentious person. And I think yeah, it isn't hardly ever genuine. Like maybe there's like ten percent of wine people saying this stuff who you know really care about the complex flavors, but mainly you're just saying it to look clever and fuck off just drink the wine that's uh and i was but uh at least i guess they've shown andrew up for being a bit of a twat here yeah um then then it flashes back to late or it flashes forward to later that night and uh andrew annie and steven are all sitting around kind of a bonfire they're about like three or four bottles of wine into the night and they're just having a, a gale time like laughing their asses off out there um, yeah and then andrew engineers it so that um steven and her will be alone yeah although i thought that andrew was a little bit of an asshole here when she says that it wasn't she says something like you know until she started the vineyard she didn't know what true happiness was and you know uh steven is like oh well when you find the secret to true happiness let me know and then uh and then she just kind of looks at andrew and she's like oh i'm sure your life has been full of happiness and he just looks like genuinely irritated that she would like talk about his life I don't know, did you yeah, I, I thought she was just being, I thought she was calling him out for being the kind of twat he is after the wine shit. I thought it was like showing us that she had his number. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely thought that too. But the fact that he was just kind of so, it's weird because we don't normally see Andrew kind of this like defensive person. No, that's true. Yeah, he is on the defensive here. Yeah, so that was interesting seeing him, you know, on the defensive. Um, but they mentioned that they're going to call a cab so that they can get over to like a B and B. And she's like, no, no, just stay with me. Just stay with me. And it's a bit chilly. Let's go inside. And Andrew's like, oh, I'm probably going to retire early. And Steven's like, I'm just fucking getting started with this wine. So yeah. Yeah. And they continue to get drunk together and there's some mild flirtation, which then turns into some quite cringy chat about plums. Oh my God. That was so. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That was horrible. That was, there's two major cringe moments in this episode for me, and this was the first one. Oh, God. Um, yeah, me too. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, but we think, oh, okay, maybe this is going to happen. But then the next morning, he hasn't come to bed, and Andrew gets up, and they've just both fallen asleep in the chairs. Yeah, that really cracked me up because he just, he walks downstairs, and both of them are just like passed out drunk in their, uh, snoring, snoring. in their chairs. Yeah, in the chairs. It really cracked me up. That, that scene made me laugh so much yeah um poor old steven he can't do anything right yeah um and then then they he head back on the road i gotta say steven seems like surprisingly upbeat for probably the terrible hangover he has yeah he's kind of rubbing his temples a bit but he's in no way as bad as i would be i mean i'd be like throwing up out of the car window i think after that much red wine <laughs> yeah um they start talking about Andrew basically insinuates that Annie is an alcoholic and that um, Andrew, or Jesus, these character names are killing me. Um, <laughs> Annie, Andrew insinuates that Annie is an alcoholic and then Stephen disagrees. Um, and then Andrew kind of insinuates that Stephen is also an alcoholic. He also, again, disagrees with that, but then says he could never stop drinking. Um alcohol is the medicine that makes the pain go away or something like that yeah he says um i couldn't ever give it up that's terrifying but i function it's my medicine like a tasty insulin 
Um, and then he also reveals that while reading his journal, he found Smelly Ellis's first name. It was Henry, the Welsh spelling, so it ended with no, I. It, wasn't, it, was Har- it was Harry, the Welsh spelling with an I. Oh, what did I say? Did I say Henry? Henry. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. I think I even wrote Henry. Did I write? Uh, what did I write what did down? I guess I didn't even I write guess, it down. I guess Harry is the short name of Henry, so I'll let you have that. Okay, yeah, we'll say that we're both right. <laughs> um, um, and he's a chiropodist shir- in Toronto. Yeah, which I didn't know what that was, but it's a hand and foot doctor. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's someone who... Oh, is it hands as well? Yeah, it's someone who... So the only person I know that has a chiropodist is my nan. She has some poor woman come around to, like, shave her feet every now and again. But, um, yeah, some poor soul has to come and deal with your feet. Ugh, God... I feel like we're talking about university challenge again with the feet discussion. <laughs> no one, honestly, like sometimes my nan said about, you know, you can use the chiropodist. Like she comes around for, you book her for so many hours or whatever. So if you ever need her, it's like, honestly, I can't think of anything worse than making someone touch my fucking horrible trotters. Oh, like, God. no, no thanks. Yeah. I know. Uh, Especially after flip-flop season, oh, you know, those yeah. things are not in a good way. No. Yeah. Um, Stephen is Stephen is like super relieved to find out that he didn't kill um that he didn't kill Smelly Ellis. Next scene we have we're at Ellen we're at Ellen's house and Ellen and Julian are at the table and Julian is making tea for Ellen. Um Cass comes downstairs and she lets him know that she sold her TV online. You know, it what really is what I never thought about uh, in this episode was the time frame of everything because this that's true yeah this has all happened in like a day uh yeah like three days because they've been yeah. gone for they're technically gone for two nights so it's like three days oh, yeah. Two, yeah three days two nights so everything happens like super quickly but even Cass's stuff happens especially fast because we saw her we saw her room at the end of the last episode and she had a like really well furnished room yep she had all the stuff you need yeah and uh, when we see her room later, yeah, not very well furnished at all. No, no, she's got rid of everything. But she's now, she tells um, Ellen that she's raised the two grand she needs to go traveling. But she clearly is fearful of doing it because she says that she can't go yet. Yeah. And uh, Ellen is <laughs> Ellen is excited about the fact that Cass has raised the, uh, the, raised the $2,000 because that's the amount that Cass said she needed. Cass said she needs more and Ellen's like, no, no, I might be tripping, but I'm pretty sure you said that that was the exact amount you needed. So we know that Ellen has been taking the acid now. Yes, and Julian says that she, Ellen, is in the sky with <laughs> diamonds. diamonds. Is what he says. Yeah, the the part that I didn't, the thing that I didn't like about this was, I I've never done acid, so I don't know for sure. I do not think acid lasts three days. No, I again, I'm I'm the same as you. I've never done it, but I did think that this seemed like a a long high unless she accepted the tabs and took them a day afterwards. later. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree don't with know. you. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But yes, she's high it, as the, yes, she's high as hell, and she really shouldn't be tripping because it's just way too long of a time for her. Yeah, to be but she is tripping at the moment, and she has to be tripping for what happens next to be funny but it's um yeah i agree with you bit of a plot hole but okay um so next we get steven and andrew and they're at a petrol station and um andrew is inside the station and he's talking to the guy behind the counter and steven is on the phone with allison 
And, um, you know, he's talking about how he's really bonded with Andrew on this trip. And Allison is worried that Andrew's brainwashed Stephen. And Stephen's like, no, no, he's been so reassuring about me not having murdered a child. And, and so then he recounts the whole, you know, smelly Ellis story to Allison. And Allison is like, that sounds fucking mental. Like, yeah, of course you didn't kill a child, she says. Yeah, of course you didn't kill a child. And then he kind of pauses and he's like, yeah, I guess when you say it out loud to another person, it is a little crazy. Yeah, she's um, she kind of like, through talking to Alison, and he sort of touches base with her and he realises that, oh, it's fucking mental. Like, actually, I can't believe I even thought that for a second because it's so insane. Yeah. yeah. Um while he's been in Andrew's bubble, he's accepted it. But as soon as he steps out of the bubble, he realizes, oh, yeah, like, he's been fucking with my head. Yeah. And then he says that they have one last stop on the soup vis that is sure to bring baffled stares. Yes, they uh, they expect fully to not be, to not anyone, no one to know what the John Barleycorn is or why they're there. But they end up at Ogden's pasties and they encounter Ruth who is very excited to hear the John Bonacorn name mentioned and asks if Laurie's parking up and they have to break the news that he's dead and she cries a lot. Yeah, she just starts like openly weeping and she is just so sad and they're trying to just, you know, like figure out why is this, you know, why is this lady so sad? And um, she, we get, we get a reveal that her and Laurie had been lovers for about 22 years um, so it seems pretty clear that he would go on the suit vis as a, like a pretense to go, you know, spend a week with, um, or spend a few days with Ruth and would tell everybody that he was, you know, going to visit all the vendors everywhere. Yeah. So the, this was the real cause was his, his affair with Ruth. Um, she knew that he was married. She says they made the best of their time together. They salsa danced, windsurfed, did a bit of scuba. And as it turns out, made sex videos. Yeah, but the sex video reveal is fantastic. She's like, oh, I'm going to have to watch my videos and just remember the good times. And and Steven gets really excited. He's like, oh, my God, you have videos of, you know, of my dad. And, you know, she's like, yeah, sex videos. And he's like, yeah, I don't want to really be watching those. Uh, yeah. It's very funny. Very funny. Um, final final scene of this episode, and it's kind of a long one. Um Andrew and Steven pull up to the house in Stroud and they're kind of discussing if they should tell Ellen about the affair or not. And they're, they're talking, I don't want to say loud, but you know, like not quiet. Not quiet. Yeah. They're not yeah, being discreet. Like daytime volume at night. Yeah. And, uh, Cass ends up popping her head out of the, um, out of the window and she's like, you know, like, Oh, what are you guys talking about? And they, you know, Steven, drops this news like it's you know unheard of before he's like dad was having an affair and she's like oh which one did you meet and then just <laughs> proceeds to list out the you know million girlfriends that dad had yes um and she says that their marriage was open um and that like, it, like basically me and mom thought you didn't have the emotional capacity to take that on and he can't believe that everyone's known about this except him yeah, I felt really bad for him where, you know, they're talking about, oh, you didn't have the emotional intelligence to handle this and et cetera, et cetera. And he's just like, oh, okay, well, you know, fucking see how, how that goes now. And um, 
Yeah, there's a chicken cottage joke as well, yeah. which made me laugh about uh, their marriage was op- always open like a chicken cottage, which I enjoyed. Always, always time for a chicken cottage joke. Yeah. And then uh, Andrew and Cass head up to Cass's room, and we see Cass's room is, like, completely empty, except for some, like, a little roll of blankets on the floor. And Oh, sorry, just before you mention that, I've written here that um, there's some speculation that Ellen is having an affair with Julian. Do you think she is? Do you think that's what's going on? Julian seems upright enough to me that I don't think that he is would be breaking his Into vows that. and sleeping with ellen do you think that that's what she's got in mind potentially i find that her and i find that her and julian's relationship is is really strange to begin with anyways yeah that's true yeah i i don't know i i kind of thought oh actually maybe that's an angle that i hadn't considered but like you say julian seems so like so hardline about sin in the previous episode that i can't imagine he is having an affair with that but then on the other hand Maybe it is. Maybe that's where this is going. But that was just an aside. I guess I hadn't really thought of that um, angle before, but you know, could be, could be, could be something that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm... And uh... sorry again. Oh, uh, I was just gonna say I don't find the idea completely implausible, but no, I don't know where it would go in terms of the take the storyline. But I wonder if that might be a place it might go to. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if she maybe. Uh, what I could see happening. I, I will say this. Here's what I could see happening. I could see she mistakes Julian's something that Julian does as an advancement, and then she kisses him, and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing, crazy? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I agree with you. But I can see that happening. There is, um, there's also a very funny line here where Andrew's like, chill out. Or, or, you know, it's just sex. And I'll see even how many sexual partners he's <laughs> oh, yeah. had in 40 years. Oh my and God. he says three, three, four, if you just can't rub in, which made me laugh, but really made my husband laugh. So clearly that's something that identified, he identified with. I have to ask him more about that. <laughs> <laughs> he laughed like a drain at that. So there's clearly a story. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I have just instituted a no discussing past partners rule. <laughs> Yeah, it never ends well, does it? Yeah, as far as we're concerned, we were each other's first, uh, last, and onlys from <laughs> now until the time we die. <laughs> um, and then they go up to Cassie's bedroom. Sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, no, no, you're fine, you're fine. We get into Cass's bedroom, and she has pretty much sold, like, everything that she owns. Um, and uh, you know, she tells Andrew that she's raised the 2000 but that, you know... Um, she's not ready to go and Andrew is like you know she's sorry she tells Andrew she's raised the 2000 but that she doesn't want to go because she doesn't want to leave him behind and she loves him yes and he manages to somehow sidestep this quite effectively I thought um, considering what a massive reveal this kind of is for her and yep. he's like you've got a lot of love to give but you need to go traveling and you need to find yourself and then he starts poncing on about how she'd only find herself in like Mozambique and says it in a weird accent and it may be cringe. Yeah, I, I like when he's like making love to a stranger on the beach in the morning, uh, you know, <laughs> drinking a black tea in Istanbul and smelling the spices and he's just, you know, you need to travel for five to six months and she's just like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't have the kind of money to travel for five to six months. And then he just kind of casually mentions, well, I mean, you do have the shares of the John Barleycorn. Yeah, but let's not talk about that now. Yeah, but let's not talk about that now. 
But... And then he weirdly starts to sing in a weird voice, which I just thought this was unnecessary. He starts to <laughs> sing Search for the Hero by M People and I wanted to die. Like that was, I've got, my cringeometer is only so, can only go so far and that was my limit. I was like, oh, I've got to close my eyes because this is really bad. What really, really made me laugh in this scene was when uh, she starts to sing and he just puts his, <laughs> he just like puts his finger in front of her mouth and just like shushes her. <laughs> Yeah, it was a horror. Everything about it was horrible. It was probably meant to be horrible, but I don't really understand why Robert Webb had to do the accent he was singing in. I don't, I don't know. It, it was horrible. I've never heard the original version of the song, I don't think. So I didn't know if he was maybe, if it was like maybe a woman that sang and he was trying to. It is a woman, but a woman with a perfectly usual voice. There was no need for that. But maybe he was trying to sing in like a higher register or something. I don't oh, know. I don't, I don't know. Everything about it made me cringe yeah. and in a bad way. I wasn't like, oh, this made me cringe and it was meant to make me cringe. It made me cringe and I felt like. Oh, that was horrible. Yeah. Um. And then, and then, kind of in the background, we hear Ellen yelling that the bu- the pub is on fire, the pub is on fire, and um, everybody and just Stephen shouts, "You're off your tits!" Yeah, yeah. Everybody just assumes <laughs> it's because she's on acid. Um, and then, uh, and then we see no, the John Barleycorn is on fire. It's not on a horrible fire, like it's not you know completely engulfed, but it is definitely in flames. It's a big fire. It is a big fire, but it's not like the John Barleycorn burned to the ground or anything like no, that. No, um, and we established that this is because of Jeff letting people smoke in the pub, and then we established that they may or may not be insured adequately. Yeah. Uh, as somebody who works in the insurance industry, this this scene like really resonated with me, too. I mean, it does just roll over, doesn't it? That That is a thing. Yeah, I... I... I would suspect that as long as Lori did have the pub insured, that it would just roll over and there wouldn't be anything that they would need to do. Um, yeah, I don't know anything. Fine, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know anything about commercial insurance, but I would imagine that everything would just roll over and wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah, let's let's say I get the feeling that maybe it's not going to work out so well for them, but th- this has been put out there anyway that they may or may not be adequately insured. Yeah, and then we kind of see everybody huddle around Andrew as they're watching the fireman put out the bar. Um, you know, Jeff is next to him. Jan and Mike are there. Ellen and Julian are there and they're all huddled around, you know, looking like a family type unit. And then Steven is just kind of standing off by himself, just, you know, looking at everything and just, you can see, you know, he's just like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah, and then we close on a close-up of one of Cassie's paintings of Andrew as a choir boy, and the eyes begin to glow red, and he grows devil horns. Yeah, the whole painting kind of morphs from, like, almost like a cherub-looking Andrew to a devil-looking Andrew. Yeah, and that is where the episode ends. Yep, that was where the episode ends, and exactly like you said, I liked this episode way, way more than I liked episode three. Yeah, it was very funny. Um, what in terms of the two episodes? I know you hated the ketchup. Was there anything else that you didn't like? Um, not uh, outside. I mean, outside of the ketchup thing, there wasn't really anything that really, you know, struck me as being like, oh my god, why did they include this? I felt like, I felt like every scene in episode four had a purpose to it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's I've I've said in my notes that aside from the weird M people singing, 
Um, I felt like this had... It, these were two good episodes. I feel like the show's hit its stride. I enjoyed episodes one and two, but it was a bit more hit and miss for me. Whereas this was like, okay, I can see where this, I can see what this is doing now. I can see like the rhythm of this. I'm still not mad about Mike and Jan. I think they're a little bit, like I said earlier, I think they're a little bit broad and I think they're a little bit cheap in places. Like there's no need for some of the cheap jokes they make, but uh, they serve a purpose, I guess. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested over the next two weeks because obviously the next time we talk about back, we'll, Pretty have much, a conclusion. Yeah, we'll have a conclusion at least for series one, and and then we can look back at these last two episodes or uh, last two podcasts and go, oh, wow, we I such can't, fools, I can't yeah. believe I thought An- uh, Andrew was an angel. Oh, what a stupid <laughs> fucking idiot I am. And um, I honestly am not sure where it's going. Like I think last time, like, like in the last podcast about back, I thought that maybe um, Allison and and Stephen were gonna fine uncover andrew's misdeeds together that was going to get them back together i'm now not sure that they're going to get back together i think that she might fall pregnant i think that might be part of it i think that that might then um that might inform something that Stephen then goes on to do but i'm not sure i can't i feel like it's all up in the air like i can't see an obvious way this is going now yeah i don't really know how it's i don't really don't know how it's going to end either um no it it looks like as of now i would imagine that Andrew is going to somehow purchase Cass's shares of the pub. and Yes, I mean, surely they've got to, it's got to be insured because, and that's got to work out because otherwise that whole thread doesn't make any sense. Well, like, that, I have, sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, here's my idea, is that it turns out that the place is not insured, but Andrew just happens to have enough money that, you know, he can pay for the, you know, the pub to be brought back from the dead. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good good idea. Yeah. And, and he's like the saviour of the John Barnacle. Yeah. And then that's how he gets Cass and Ellen's shares of the pub. And then he's mm. 75% owner. And then, of course, Stephen, 25%. So just a, yeah. just a thought. Yeah. Just a thought. I think you might be onto something there. So, yeah, well, we'll see what, we'll see what happens. And I'm... I'm genuinely interested in, they've mentioned several times throughout the show that Andrew is the devil. Um, I don't think there's a supernatural aspect to the show because it would seem very strange for, you know, that there's no other supernatural aspect of it. There has been a lot of talk of sin with this vicar, though. So perhaps there is some religious element, maybe. I guess I could see that. Mm. Yeah, I guess I could see that. But then who would... If you're going to have Satan in a show, like, who is God? Yeah, I don't, I, I agree with you that I can't really see how that would happen, but I, but, you know, I think anything's possible right now, so hopefully it will be more clear next week, and then it will be, you know, obviously once we speak again and we, we know, it will, like you say, we'll be like, oh, you're such fools, but right now it just seems like it could go anywhere. Yeah, um... I have. I'm still really enjoying the show, though. I, I'm glad that it's on the air. Do you know? And you might not know. And if you don't, that's fine. Is this a ongoing series? Like, is or is it just six episodes and done? So it's just six episodes and done. Normally, what happens over here is they announce uh, if it's been recommissioned for a second series after the run. So oh, okay. that that's when they'll decide. So uh, let's have a look, and I'm gonna google and see if there's any information but i really doubt it's been given a second series yet uh 
knit back channel four. Hmm. Uh, Wikipedia. Loads of stuff. Um. Yeah, there's no information about that yet. Okay. Well, I'm. But yeah, so after the second, after the sixth episode airs, normally what happens is then they'll, based on viewing figures and reviews, they'll decide if it's been recommissioned. I would be surprised if it isn't recommissioned with such a strong team as Mitchell and Webb and Simon Blackwell, to be honest. Yeah, I was looking at the ratings, at the viewership ratings for this, for the show on Wikipedia. Um, are you familiar with what, like, a good rating is? No, I was, it says 0.9 million. I would have thought that was fairly good for that time. What? Let's have a look at, see, viewing figures, UK time slot. Uh, um, so in 2016, the, yeah, so like the thing that got the most views of the whole year only got like only but only got like 14 million views and that's like the top of the like the you know the top thing the second most uh popular thing got 11.6 million views and that was again like at christmas when everyone's watching the telly it looks like this first episode got 0.9 million and then i would say it's pretty respectable based on based on that in midweek a midweek 10 o'clock slot and that doesn't count the people that are watching it online, like on all four and stuff. So it doesn't look terrible to me. I would say that's pretty good. Yeah. So I, I think it's probably safe to say at this point that it looks like there will probably be at least a series two. Yeah. I'd be really surprised if there wasn't a series two, to be honest, uh, but I might be wrong, but um, some of the shit that gets recommissioned, I can't see that with a team as solid as this and okay viewing figures, they're not going to recommission it. Yeah. I, I really hope that we get some sort of definitive ending at episode six, even if it's just like, this is the ending of this series. Okay. Here's what's going to happen in the next series. As long as there's just some sort of like, Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I would have imagined like one thing that we're normally quite good at over here is because things are only in sixes or eights. There's normally a definitive ending because they're not written to like, they're, they're written as one whole piece rather than, laying it open for another series so that would be i would think it probably will be like a whole thing on its own yeah all right well that is everything i had to say about back you have anything else left to no i think we've dissected back about as much as it is possible to do <laughs> um i look forward to your live tweet alongs with the next over the next two weeks especially for the episode six live tweet should be really fun to watch yes yeah definitely a lot of lot of people on twitter who are really enjoying it so yeah. like talking to them on a wednesday night yeah and we will be back no pun intended next week with uh l dude brothers podcast and we will be discussing peep show series four episode two conference an episode that i really enjoy and we get to meet Gerard for the first time. Oh, is that our first Gerard? Is it? I don't remember much about that episode, I have to say. So oh. I'm looking forward to watching it again and laughing because it's kind of one of those episodes that's sort of fallen into the background for me. Oh, no. See, it's a, it's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> oh, good. All right. I look forward to rewatching that this week then. All right. Well, that's everything here at the L Dude Brothers. The, uh, the, or whatever. The, uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> this is the El Dude Brothers podcast signing off. <laughs> Goodbye. It just seemed better when I was fostered here. Permanently packed out. A golden age. <laughs> Not sure about golden. I just think the place needs a fresh look. Some visual Viagra. No, we just have to keep providing people with the chemicals that stop the feeling. As long as we help keep the feeling at bay, we're doing our job.